The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. together this morning. Lord, we thank you that we do stand um, in you. Thank you that that is uh, firm and secure. There is a hope that we have this morning. Lord, we declare that. On this wintry day in Queensland, we do declare that. Lord, we in our hearts, we choose to say that you are our Lord and Savior. And we love you, and we come this morning, Lord, to honor you and to worship you. So together we do that. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just want to add my welcome to you this morning. If you're here for the first time, either in person or online, it's good to be able to welcome you and join with you together. I want to ask you a question this morning as we journey through the book of Mark together. Why did you come to church? Why did you come to church this morning? And maybe somebody dragged you out of bed and brought you, you know, and said, if you don't come to church, I'm not making you lunch. Or maybe you come because that's what you do. You do that on Sundays. You come... Um, this is what you've done, uh, and this is your heritage. I'm guessing that the reason, there are many reasons for you having come this morning, but I'm guessing the reason you've come this morning, um, there may be also a reason your neighbor, who doesn't think about God at all, who doesn't have one thought about God and the church, there may be a reason they also would want to come this morning. I hope to answer that question as we journey through this text, as we read in Mark in a moment. This uh, Gospel of Mark, uh, which we believe was probably the first Gospel written on the life of Jesus, and uh, there's good reason to believe that it was written from Rome um, by John Mark, who knew uh, the Apostle Peter, got a lot of his information, we believe, from the Apostle Peter, but also journeyed with the Apostle Paul, who was also important in the life of the church. But we believe there's good reason to, 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 when we ask the question, why did he write this? This was a time in Rome when the Christians were under persecution. And they must have been asking the question, does God really, does Jesus really make a difference? Is Jesus really the Son of God? Is he really going to overcome this evil? that we see around us, this persecution, this difficulty. And do we belong? These, these were Gentiles, these were people in Rome. Do we belong to this religion, um, which is very Jewish, was very Jewish in its origins? Do we belong? I want to say this morning that, as we go through this passage, that, that there is a life that comes from Jesus Christ, that rescues us from darkness and isolation. There's a sense of isolation in our world today when even in the UK, and this was even before COVID, even in the UK they did some research to find that one in four um, adults were feeling isolation at some point in their life. They even appointed a minister for loneliness and isolation. And there was talk in Victoria to appoint somebody in Australia for that because it's reached pandemic proportions, this isolation we have from each other and from this world. 
And in the story we're going to read together where Jesus interacts with people, he's going to, this, this, the story will be bracketed by him talking about family or people he knows. And then he'll talk about uh, this, this thing about the strong man and the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which we go, well, what is that? And if you've been in church, perhaps you've heard people talk about that and you wonder, have you done that? Because that can't be forgiven. And then he talks about family again. And I want you to notice there's this bracketing going on. Jesus is encountering people and drawing them into community and into family. So let's read together from Mark 3. As we engage with Jesus, as he engages with us in our hearts this morning. Then Jesus entered a house and again a crowd gathered, so that his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family or those he knew heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind, he's lost it. And even the teachers of the law in verse 22, who'd come down from Jerusalem said, they also said there's something wrong with the bloke Jesus. He's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. What was Beelzebul? Who was Beelzebul? He was a lesser demon uh, under Satan. And, and one of, one of the ways you, we can understand uh, what the name means, perhaps the Lord of the flies or the Lord of the house. Um, there's this person that they're saying, these leaders are saying, hey, Jesus, you're driving out demons, you're doing these things, but you're using demonic power, you're using evil power to do that. Now, I ask you the question, and I know for us as Westerners, this is very foreign to be talking about stuff like this. But I ask the question, how would religious leaders, seeing the Son of God doing amazing things, driving out demons, seeing people being set free, seeing people being healed, how could they come to the conclusion that Jesus is actually from the dark side? There's something in our human brains that goes, we make, the way we make decisions, when we make decisions about us, we tend to use a way of thinking. So let's test that way of thinking this morning for you. And I'm going to use the example of a bat and a ball. Uh, you didn't come uh, to church this morning thinking, well, you're, um, you're going to be a, have a little bit of a test. But this is a test about a bat and a ball. See if you can pass this test. Here's the question. A bat and a ball cost $1.10. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? So you had a gut instinct. You had a gut reaction to go that the, that the ball cost 10 cents and the bat cost $1, right? That's probably where you went. But the correct answer is this. The correct answer is the bat cost $1.05, and the ball cost $0.05. Cents. Now, probably lost you here, but your gut reaction, probably, and they've done this test across universities, 80% of university students go with the, the bats $1 and the ball's $0.10. Cents. Because we make a decision based on our gut. And we do this, and there was a person who um, won a Nobel Peace Prize, and they wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman and his friend um, Amos Tversky. I think they were Jewish. They got a Nobel, Peace, a Nobel Prize for this, where we have different ways of thinking, and we judge people by this gut reaction. But when we think about ourselves and our own behavior, we use a slower way of thinking, a rational way of thinking. And so we are able to rationalize our own behaviors and go, well, I'm okay to do this certain thing, but it's not okay for somebody else to be doing it. We make these reactions and gut reactions um, and decisions about people. 
There's a book called Leadership and Self-Deception that I've been reading. And yes, leaders are known to have some self-deception. Um, but this is what they say. We deceive ourselves. We, we deceive ourselves by seeing other people's needs as less important. So we treat them as objects. And we constantly seek to justify a world where other people's faults are here and our ability and goodness is over here. There is something about our human nature that, that decides about others, that others are less important than what we are, than what I am. And I had a rude awakening about this uh, um, in the previous church I was at. One of the staff members came to me and said, Ray, I need to tell you something, but I just want you to listen. I don't want you to justify what I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell you something and I don't want you to go into self-justification. I just want you to listen. In other words, she was saying, Ray, when I talk to you, sometimes you don't really listen. It doesn't seem like I'm being heard by you. And in what is she, what is she, she's really saying is saying, you're invalidating my expression of life. And in my mind, I'm, and as she was talking, I was going self-justify, self-justify. But then I stopped myself and, and I'm, I'm saying, that's exactly what she asked me not to do. Many strife, much strife in human relationships, friends, comes from this ability to self-justify our own actions. And when we look at others, we judge their actions. And I believe that's what these religious leaders were doing. They weren't inherently bad people, but they had this ability to judge what Jesus was doing, and because he didn't fit their paradigm, they labeled him. And when we label people, we can do anything we want with them. They're just an object. Jesus goes on to challenge them. He'll challenge them about who he is and why he came and how he's come to transform our very natures where we make decisions about others and about realities, perhaps using the wrong filters. And by the way, Jesus deliberately slows things down. That's the same example of the bat and the ball. If I had made it more complicated and not, not just such an easy $1 and $1.10, you would have thought about it more. And then you would have got the right answer. By the way, how many, how many got the wrong answer, right? I got the wrong answer the first time. Probably most of you got the wrong answer, right? Because we used our gut. But if I'd made that question more difficult, you would have thought about it. And Jesus deliberately slows down people's thinking using story. And there's a reason for that as well. But he deliberately slows it down to get people to think. It's probably a a way of, of thinking about how do we engage with our culture who doesn't have first thought about God, is to perhaps ask more questions rather than give answers. Slow down their thinking. So Jesus does this in Mark 3, 23. He says, so Jesus called them over. Remember they'd accused Jesus of, of using the demonic powers to cast out these demons. So Jesus called them over and began to speak to them in parables, which was a story. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Verse 26, and if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. What he's basically saying is saying, if I'm using 
the devil's power to drive out the devil's work, then the devil's kingdom has come to an end. Now, someone greater than the devil, than Satan, is here. Something has shifted where this person, Jesus, is able to go into the strong man's house and plunder his house. What's a strong man? In those days when uh, you needed a piece of furniture moved, you would go to the, you know, you didn't go to the local removalist company because they didn't have trucks in those days. You found the biggest bloke in the village, right? You know? Like Josh in our church. Josh is not here yesterday. He worked so hard and the whole team doing the electrical tag and test. And thank you for that, Josh, if, if you're watching online and for those that were. You, you would hire the biggest guy in the village, right? There's a couple of big guys here and you'd put your, he'd grab your table and he would carry it. He was the strong man. That was the label you gave him. He was the village strong man. And so the last thing you wanted to do if you wanted to steal somebody else's furniture was to break into the strongest guy in the village to break into his house, especially in broad daylight. Jesus is saying here that something has shifted in the world where he's come into it and he's plundering the house of the strong man, the devil, Satan, and liberating things from his house. What are those things that Jesus is liberating here? And we've read from one, from Colossians 1 this morning. I didn't give that feedback to the team at all, but Colossians 1 goes on to say this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. He says, for this reason, he's talking about their faith, since we've heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. In other words, he wants people to see what God is doing. Verse 13, for he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other places, like Ephesians 2, you'll read about how Jesus has set us free from, from, the, from the way of the kingdom of the air, who's, who's at work in those who are disobedient. He set us free from darkness. Now I'll ask a question to intelligent Western people. How do we explain darkness? How do we explain evil to others? Is that something that in your own mind you would go, yeah, I see that every day. I come into contact with that. I mean, if, if Jesus was there and, and there was a person who was oppressed by a demon, the word in the Bible is not really possessed. That doesn't really, it's not really there, only perhaps on one or two occasions. It's oppressed by demonic power. There's some hold over this person. And Jesus speaks into that and, and sets that person free. You would go, yeah, yeah, I see the evil. If you were in Africa or Asia uh, or India, where I've been to India, um, you, you would see people being set free from demonic powers, and you would see a transformation in them. It's like night and day in their lives. But for us cultured Westerners, it's like we've, we've turned down this view of evil. I want to ask you, where do you see evil? Where do you see evil at work around us? That one in three women in Australia will, will, will have some sort of abuse directed toward them, physical or sexual, surely that is evil. 
Surely that's beyond just human nature. Surely there's something else afoot that leads men to do that. What about this movie we're going to, that, that, that's coming up and grateful for, for those who've advertised it on child trafficking? It's one of the fastest growing um, evils in this world. That in, in Asia, for example, one in 250 people are somehow affected or are victims of trafficking, especially children, especially girls. What about the isolation and loneliness in our cities? Is that not evil? I would argue that we come up against evil every day. We don't see it, but we see the results of it. We see the shadow of it. And and perhaps we've grown hard-hearted against it. But if we had to honestly ask ourselves, is that what a good human being would do? And the answer would be no. There's something else afoot. Yes, our own sinfulness. Yes, if we don't know Christ. But there's also evil in the world that leads us astray. I encourage you to go and see that movie if you can. That's why I want to say from this text, and this text I could have gone in many different, many different directions this morning. Sorry about that. But I felt this is where God wanted me to take it. And this is the point I want to make from this text. There is a life, friends, for you and for your neighbor that comes from Jesus Christ that rescues us from darkness and isolation or invalidation. There is something about the gospel of Jesus that when it comes into us and sets us free, we we truly come alive as human beings. We truly begin to find our worth and our value to God and to each other. So Jesus then begins to say this, and this is where the whole idea... Are we good? Something's dropping out. This is where the whole idea of the blasphemy of the, against the Holy Spirit, Mark 3, comes from. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. What is Jesus talking about? He's saying that the folks here are, are looking at what Jesus is, is doing and actually ascribing that to the devil. And Jesus is saying, there is no salvation for us when we see the work of God and we actually say, this is the work of the devil. There, there, it's, there's not the sense of going, as a Christian, if you go along and then you say something about the Holy Spirit, that that's what Jesus is talking about. No, that's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about ascribing the very work of God to the evil forces of this world. And if you're worrying about, have you ever blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, that's a good indication that you haven't. Because you worried about it. If we are truly against the Holy Spirit, our hearts would be dark and hardened, and there is no way we can be saved. We are guilty of an eternal sin. Because in verse 20, they were saying that Jesus has an impure spirit. They were saying to him, Jesus, the very things you are doing is because you have this evil or dark in, darkness in you. But notice how Jesus then, how the story then shifts to community. And family again. And asking who is Jesus and why did he come? And who is he setting free? And to what end? And why do we come to church? Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived, standing outside. This is verse 31. 
they sent someone in to call him. The crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated around him, in a circle around him. He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus would be looking at you this morning and going, you belong, you belong to a family. You belong to God's family. This should be the place, friends, that the world cannot copy. There are things that there are echoes of Christianity that our Western society have picked up and blessings of it. Like looking after the poor, you know, feeding, feeding the homeless like a rana house, you know, caring for those who are sick. Friends, that's not pagan at all. In the world, if you like that, you cop it and, and you, you wear it and that's your lot in life. It's the fact that Christianity has come into the West and changed our mindset. That for many people in Australia, they would go, well, why on earth should I follow Jesus? What does he give me? And we go, well, you can, you know, we show care and love and compassion. And they go, well, we do that too. And we probably we do it even better than you do. And we go, yes, those are echoes of Christianity. But there's something that our community cannot copy, friends. And that's true community. True community of people from all over the world who together can come and celebrate one God following one, one written text worshipping Father, Son, and Holy Spirit across the globe. doesn't matter where you are. I've been to churches where they've sung, for example, I was in Mozambique. They were singing in Portuguese. I understand a little bit of Portuguese. But when they began to sing a song that I didn't know the words, but I, I recognized the, the tune, I knew exactly what they were singing about. You can go anywhere in the world today, friends, and, and worship with a growing community of believers. I want to challenge you this morning. You've come this morning perhaps thinking, does anybody care? Does anybody really know me? Or will I walk out here, as I know is often our experience on a Sunday, and we go, was I really heard? Was I really valued? Did somebody really notice me? We should be really good at that. What I found in my own temperament, just being vulnerable here, I'm, I'm, if you know the Enneagram, I'm Enneagram 8, which is a challenger. uh, You know, I want to see things done, but in the middle of that, I can become so task-focused that I forget about people. And I've had to learn to go in the opposite direction very often, and the opposite for an Enneagram 8 is to actually learn to serve others. It's an Enneagram 2. Often I have to deliberately go, stop, Ray. Just stop and go and serve people. And to learn to undo my natural strengths and temperaments, which, by the way, our strengths can often be our greatest weaknesses, the source of our greatest weakness. To learn to serve. When we come to the church on Sunday like this, the thing that we are longing for, one thing, to worship God, yes. Another thing, to hear about what God is saying to us. But the other one is for community. People say that you belong before 
you believe. Jesus called his disciples to follow him long before they, they said, hey, you are the son of God. They probably traveled with him for two years before um, Mark chapter 8, where, the, where Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And they say, you're the son of God. Probably two years of journey. They were belonging before they believed. My friends, my challenge to you, my challenge, the challenge to myself is the things that Jesus has come to undo, the evil he's come to undo in this world, you can play a part in that by simply validating somebody else, by simply honoring somebody else, because the enemy is trying to break that down. The, 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 this, pandemic of loneliness. Where is that coming from? The root of it is, is the, from the dark side. Because what does the enemy want to do? He wants to alienate us. He wants to alienate us from God and from each other. You go back to Genesis 1. That's exactly what happened. Not Genesis 1. When, in Genesis 2 and 3. In the fall. Um, that's exactly what happened. This alienation, friends, is, is an example of evil. You have the ability this morning... To overcome evil was good. To choose not to make decisions about others from the gut and go, I'm going to invalidate what you say by self-justifying myself. But you can actually listen. And see God at work in that person. And honor them. Husbands, you can learn to honor your wives. The Bible says, wives, you can learn to respect your husband. That's the way we, that's the validation language for husbands and wives. Men want to be respected as men and not to be belittled all the time. They want to go, gee, that was good. Well done. I'm, my wife, one of the things I'm saying to her when I'm coming up with a good idea, it's better for her to say wow rather than how. For a guy, it's like, so deflating when you go, oh, this is what I want to do. Wife rather go, wow. Not how. You'll think, you'll realize that was a bad idea a few days later. And wives, your, hus- your husbands, your wives want to be loved, nurtured, affirmed. Just cherished. That's the validation language for a wife. Who is my brother and my sister and my mother? The good news is that some of these priests even followed Jesus later on. Many of the early followers of Jesus after the death and resurrection of Jesus were the Jewish priests. That's why the book of Hebrews was written. The good news is that Jesus' mother and brothers and sisters who wanted to come and say, hey Jesus, you, you really are losing it. You're a bit insane. They followed him. His brother, James, became a leader of the church. There is redemption for us as human beings. Change is possible. This morning I want to close with two things. How about we build real community by genuinely honoring others? I recognize we come this morning and we're going, will somebody recognize me? 
somebody recognize what I'm going through. The best way, the best way to feel included is to, to learn to do that to others and go, hey, let me do this for one other person. Let me recognize them and be genuinely interested in one person. And if we all do that, we'll all walk out here going, wow, somebody has actually taken note of me. Somebody has paused to go, I'm listening, I'm hearing, I'm understanding. When we begin to do that, friends, the community will break down our door to come here. This will not be the community where we break each other down to our level. It's where we will build each other up to Christ's level. can practice this today. Overcome evil with good, secondly. Be a force for good. Support a runner house. I'm sure you see evil at work in the lives of those young men. I'm sure you see it every day. Those of you who work in community services and see the evil, the destruction of families, even in schools, my wife works as a chaplain, she goes, I don't know what's going to change this. You can be the force for good. You can do the good deed. Overcome evil with good. Lord, this morning we've learned from a bat and a ball. We've learned about your interaction with people around you who didn't hear you, they disregarded you, they belittled you, but yet, Lord, you overcame that on the cross. Yet, Lord, as your word says in Ephesians, that you broke down this dividing wall of hostility. You nailed that to the cross. You nailed the the things we do to each other to the cross. You broke the power of the enemy, Lord, over us. We see, Lord, the remnants of evil. We see the shadows of it in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, in the places where we are retired. We see the shadow of evil. Help us overcome evil with good. Help us build a community here where we see the power of God at work as we forgive each other, speak truth and and things which upbuild each other, honor each other and respect and affirm what you are doing in each other. Father, forgive us, forgive me for invalidating people, the times that I've done that, for the times we've done that when we said what you're thinking and believing is of no regard. It's not important. We argue it away. Lord, this morning I pray that we would truly be affirmed by you and know your love toward us, your deep love. And then might we do the will of the Father by loving each other and by overcoming evil 
with good. These are things within our hands, God. And as we do them, we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So we worship you and give you thanks and praise and honor and glory this morning. Lord, I pray for those who are doing it tough right now, who are feeling alienated, isolated, alone. Might they know your love? And might they know our love toward them? Help us do better at this. Lord, I know the enemy would want to cause division and strife in churches across this world. Would want to keep us so busy with with trying to sort that out that we don't overcome evil with good in our community. Lord, we pray for a protection over our church, over our leaders, over our community of faith. Help us to love. Help us to see. Help us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.